0: Sighed. "'I can't. I'm in the depths of despair. Can you eat when you're in the depths of despair?' "'I've never been in the depths of despair, so I can't say,' responded Marilla. "'Weren't you? Well, did you ever try to imagine you were in the depths of despair?' "'No, I didn't.' "'Then I don't think you can understand what it's like. It's a very uncomfortable feeling, indeed.' When you try to eat, a lump comes right up in your throat, and you can't swallow anything, not even if it was a chocolate caramel. I had one chocolate caramel once two years ago, and it was simply delicious. I've often dreamed since then that I've had a lot of chocolate caramels, but I always wake up just when I'm going to eat them. I do hope you won't be offended because I can't eat. Everything is extremely nice, but still I cannot eat. "'I guess she's tired,' said Matthew, who hadn't spoken since his return from the barn. "'Best put her to bed, Marilla.' Marilla had been wondering where Anne should be put to bed. She had prepared a couch in the kitchen chamber for the desired and expected boy, but although it was neat and clean, it did not seem quite the thing to put a girl there somehow. But the spare room was out of the question for such a stray waif, so there remained only the East Gable room. Marilla lighted a candle and told Anne to follow her, which Anne spiritlessly did, taking her hat and carpet-bag from the hall table as she passed. The hall was fearsomely clean— the little gable chamber in which she presently found herself, seemed still cleaner. Marilla set the candle on a three-legged, three-cornered table, and turned down the bedclothes. "'I suppose you have a nightgown?' she questioned. Anne nodded. "'Yes, I have two. The matron of the asylum made them for me. They're fearfully skimpy. There's never enough to go around in an asylum, so things are always skimpy—at least in a poor asylum like ours.' I hate skimpy night dresses, but one can dream just as well in them as in lovely trailing ones with frills around the neck. That's one consolation. "'Well, undress as quick as you can and go to bed. I'll come back in a few minutes for the candle. I daren't trust you to put it out yourself. You'd likely set the place on fire.' When Marilla had gone, Anne looked around her wistfully. The whitewashed walls were so painfully bare and staring that she thought they must ache over their own bareness. The floor was bare, too, except for a round, braided mat in the middle, such as Anne had never seen before. In one corner was the bed—a high, old-fashioned one, with four dark, low-turned posts. In the other corner was the aforesaid three-corner table, adorned with a fat, red, velvet pincushion, hard enough to turn the point of the most adventurous pin. Above it hung a little six-by-eight mirror. Midway between table and bed was the window, with an icy white muslin frill over it, and opposite it was the washstand— The whole apartment was of a rigidity not to be described in words, but which sent a shiver to the very marrow of Anne's bones. With a sob she hastily discarded her garments, put on the skimpy nightgown, and sprang into bed, where she burrowed face downward into the pillow, and pulled the clothes over her head. When Marilla came up for the light, various skimpy articles of raiment scattered most untidily over the floor, and a certain tempestuous appearance of the bed were the only indications of any presence save her own. She deliberately picked up Anne's clothes, placed them neatly on a prim yellow chair, and then, taking up the candle, went over to the bed. "Good night," she said, a little awkwardly but not unkindly. Anne's white face and big eyes appeared over the bedclothes with a startling suddenness. "How can you call it a good night when you know it must be the very worst night I've ever had?" she said reproachfully. Then she dived down into invisibility again. Marilla went slowly down to the kitchen and proceeded to wash the supper dishes. Matthew was smoking—a sure sign of perturbation of mind. He seldom smoked, for Marilla set her face against it as a filthy habit. But at certain times and seasons he felt driven to it, and then Marilla winked at the practice, realizing that a mere man must have some vent for his emotions. "'Well, this is a pretty kettle of fish,' she said wrathfully. "'This is what comes of sending word instead of going ourselves. Richard Spencer's folks have twisted that message somehow.' "'One of us will have to drive over and see Mrs. Spencer tomorrow. that's certain. This girl will have to be sent back to the asylum.' "'Yes, I suppose so,' said Matthew reluctantly. "'You suppose so? Don't you know it?' "'Well, now, she's a real nice little thing, Marilla. It's kind of a pity to send her back when she's so set on staying here. "'Matthew Cuthbert, you don't mean to say you think we ought to keep her?' Marilla's astonishment could not have been greater if Matthew had expressed a predilection for standing on his head. "'Well, now, no, I suppose not—not exactly,' stammered Matthew, uncomfortably driven into a corner for his precise meaning. "'I suppose we could hardly be expected to keep her.' "'I should say not. What good would she be to us?' "'We might be some good to her,' said Matthew suddenly and unexpectedly. "'Matthew Cuthbert, I believe that child has bewitched you. I can see as plain as plain that you want to keep her.' "'Well, now—' "'She's a real interesting little thing,' persisted Matthew. "'You should have heard her talk coming from the station.' "'Oh, she can talk fast enough. I saw that at once. "'It's nothing in her favor, either. "'I don't like children who have so much to say. "'I don't want an orphan girl, and if I did, she isn't the style I'd pick out. "'There's something I don't understand about her. "'No, she's got to be dispatched straight way back to where she came from.' "'I could hire a French boy to help me,' said Matthew, "'and she'd be company for you.' "'I'm not suffering for company,' said Marilla, shortly, "'and I'm not going to keep her.' "'Well, now, it's just as you say, of course, Marilla,' said Matthew, rising and putting his pipe away. "'I'm going to bed.' To bed went Matthew, and to bed, when she had put her dishes away, went Marilla, frowning most resolutely. And upstairs, in the east gable, a lonely, heart-hungry, friendless child, cried herself to sleep."